and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where the two of us just read stories that we can't wait to tell the other one, and we end up telling our husbands on speakerphone in grocery stores and forcing <laughs> other patrons to listen to the bizarre things that we have been Googling our butts off. I'm host number one. I'm number two. Ew. I hate that for me. <laughs> I'm Teresa. That's I'm Angie. Angie. <laughs> also known as go number two. My life. Cool. I'm going to think about my life after this. Um, do some self-reflection. Yeah. I used the word pontificating earlier in a sentence. <laughs> Did you? Unironically. I love that. I I desired to know the context with which it was used, but also it was like in a budget meeting. Like, hey, if we end up allocating more budget, we can start to pontificate about where we want to use it. I have ideas. I'm thinking X, Y, and Z. Nice. I mean, I used it like a professor. The other day, I got off the I got off the phone with corporate, slammed the phone down, looked at my coworker, and said the incompetency of these people. And he turned to me and just belly laughed as loud as he possibly could because incompetency is not the word. <laughs> I mean, and honestly. I remember when my sister was trying to get her birth certificate, her passport and her birth certificate, like she was born on a naval base in Japan to two American citizens. American bases are American soil. Yeah. And she was having to prove legal immigration to the States. Oh, Lord. And one of the people who was stationed at that base around the time my sister and I were over there, um, one of my parents' friends, they had said, you know, if people at that base didn't screw things up at least three different times in a row, nobody had enough things to do to keep their jobs. That would be the the motto of my corporate headquarters then, because, yeah, the incompetence is unparalleled. Mm. My incompetence knows no bounds. And I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> I knew you'd That's catch just my game. <laughs> yep. You're a daisy if you do. Oh, now I really hate him. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you playing at home, that was uh, the sizzle reel of Doc Holiday quotes from Tombstone. <laughs> Our favorite movie. <laughs> Honestly, I love it yeah. that like we came to that conclusion that together we had to share a favorite movie without like separately together, we determined well, that's the movie we quote the most. Yeah. And I mean, I'll say that in meetings. Like, they'll be like, oh, you know, da, 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 da. you're a daisy if you do. Does anybody else ever catch on? No. Oh. No. Or they do, but they're too embarrassed to say anything. I mean, honestly, that's such a deep cut. I'm, I'm you know what I mean? Guess. You know, yeah. what I, it's not like. What are you gonna do? Stand there and bleed? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. All right, but you didn't come to listen to us regurgitate uh, <laughs> the only consumable Western film. Oh, I don't know. I love I love American Outlaws with Colin Farrell. You know, I haven't seen that. 
It's super B. Like, it's awful, actually, from the beginning to the end. But I love everything. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, entertainment value. So I am chomping at the bit to know your story. Okay. Um, I'm really having an emotional meltdown. Uh, emotional is not the right thing. Do I'm having want... a more I'm having a more remote meltdown of how I want to handle this. <laughs> Do you want me to go? No, I can go. I can go. I just had I had something planned. Uh but on the event, and for whatever reason, you don't know what I'm referencing. I would feel like an absolute monster if I did it, but I really want to do it. Just go for it because I did terrare to you. <laughs> That's true. Okay. I'm not even sad now that I think about that. Yeah. Um so I can't tell you my sources yet then. But I will <laughs> I will tell you my sources, I promise. Bathroom stall at AM PM, <laughs> bathroom stall at Narco. Actually, there bathroom are stall no at a sports stadium. There are no bathroom stalls or Reddit posts about <laughs> this one. <laughs> so Neener, Neener, Neener. I am pulling up my document now because I finally figured out where it sits on my iPad. It's loading. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So July 2nd, 1996. okay we're live for it all right yeah okay so have you ever heard of the um the seti the uh you know the search for the telescope yeah 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 okay so there's a lone operator manning the midnight hour playing golf with himself when he gets a radio signal what does that mean like is that a euphemism no he's like golf like he's you know putting around in the office okay all right all right so he's doing some office golf yeah, he's playing office golf. I mean, I would hate to assume he's playing office golf and you're like, no, Teresa, he was whacking the ball. He was playing office golf. Yeah, I just I just wanted to make sure I knew what we were talking about. No, he's just trying to, you know, kill time. He, he's got the midnight watch of the SETI telescopes. He's minding okay. his own business, you know, when all of a sudden he he gets a sound. And he wakes right. up his superior officer uh who is like no that's bs comes down sure enough there's a sound the aliens have reached out they think so they they of course have to alert joint command right mm-hmm. like like everybody needs to know um but by july 3rd of 1996 there's problems a one Wait, you said july 10th and then we're at july, july 2nd okay so two days before the okay so this is gearing up for independence day vibes is what i'm hearing call will or will smith (laughs) you got it i'm giving you i'm giving you the story of independence day (laughs) were you legit trying to troll me absolutely (laughs) i i was gonna stop at and then captain stephen hiller said i could have been at a barbecue Well, I'm glad that I catch at least some pop culture references. I have this going for me, and thank God we're recording. <laughs> um, I need you to know that my husband said it would be cruel if I did that. 
Um, you got to tell him you literally got 120 seconds in before I busted it. I'm honestly, I'm delighted with myself that not only did I get that far in, but you actually asked questions about it. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't obscene. No, not nothing obscene. Not yet. We hadn't, we hadn't made it to the. It's Angie telling the story, part. not Teresa. If it's Teresa telling the story, the chance of obscenity goes skyrocketing. I mean, I get it. Consider the source. My source is a 1996 picture. <laughs> yeah. So Starring. are you, are, are we done or are you going to get to the part where. No, you know, I they actually had to have get a the real alien. story, but like, if you want me to continue to tell you the story of independence, that I, I really don't. I, I kind of want to hear the actual thing because I swear to Wally. <laughs> Do I owe you some gluten-free snacks? I mean, I'm just going to sit here and pound ciders. Well, I feel like you should have started with that. This Independence Day story would have been so much more fun for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then, I mean, because I was just like, and then okay, he punched Seti, him in the face and said, welcome to Earth. I feel because I was like, OK, Seti, I know that we did get some things that came back through some radio waves, but they were OK. What was this? What was this? I mean, my my files were going like okay, da, 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 buffering, buffering, buffering. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, I got this. Like Mike I mean, is obsessed get... with Seti. I mean, Independence Day. He's not wrong. But I was like, okay, it was ninety six. Okay, okay. Like I was, go- yeah. Okay. Yeah, we but were alive for this. This, this is the story about how Will Smith beat the aliens. All right, but I want to know your actual story, Chump. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, whatever. I can't wait to tell my husband I inflicted that on you. Also, in case you're wondering, I have watched Independence Day every year since it came out. I was in the theater for the release. Anyhow, fast forward. This this okay. this is the boring part. Like do I'm my do you want my sources or what? <laughs> okay. We've already tried the or what. <laughs> we have, sorry. Um there is an article on womenshistoryblog.com called Agent 355. A really great YouTube video by Captivating History called The Culper Ring Explained in Eleven Minutes. Culpa or Culper? What are Culper? Culper. Okay. Did I say Culpa? I'm I... sorry if I said Culpa. It's no, Culper. I have no idea. Honestly, I've got an audio processing disorder. Don't ask me what you actually said. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, Culper, the Culper ring, explained in 11 minutes. Um, a Smithsonian article called The Myth of Agent 355 and the Woman Spy Who Supposedly Helped Win the Revolutionary War. And a okay. article on um, infoglact.com, which I just learned about. That was the one I mentioned to you. Um, the super, like, uh, not Wikipedia, Wikipedia. Yep, yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, Wikipedia, Wikipedia doesn't sound right. But anyway. I think you referred to so, it as the right-wing Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, the right-wing Wikipedia. caused me to go to the Red Flag Factory and make explosions. Yeah. I didn't. Sorry. Can you forgive me? I there's worse that you're gonna do to me. There's worse that you have done to me in this I recording. Didn't tell you the story of Thierry. So I feel like we are even. My next story is gonna be the birth and life of Guy Fieri. That's it. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> I wait on pins and needles. <laughs> Watch him have like this really like incredible <laughs> young life. <laughs> Guy Fieri, if you're listening, we have questions. 
I'm just going to make sure not to say his name at any point. You're going to have to guess. And then we get to the very end and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, Dives and Diners, that dude, that guy with the crazy hair and the flame shirts. Hey, you know, there's a, mm, I don't remember what it's called, but there's a podcast with the Dirty Jobs guy, Mike Rowe, where he explains the life of a person, but doesn't tell you the person's name until the very end of the podcast. Hmm. It's actually really fun to see if you can figure it out whilst. Kind of like the dollop when they do historical figures and yes. Gareth has no idea. And he's like, wait, ben, Benjamin Franklin wasn't a president? Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, your history teachers failed you. So hard. I have listened to like a handful of the dollop and I don't know if it's like, I successfully made it through, I think, two where I was like, yeah, yeah, I got this. I'm going. But then like three, four, and five, I I bounced out early because I couldn't mentally keep track of what the heck we were actually supposed to be talking about mm. with all of their like banter background sounds. Yeah. Not even so much the banter, but like the background sounds and what's going on in between the story. I'm like, wait, what the hell are we talking about? Oh, what are we listening to? I forgot why I'm here. <laughs> you know, we're doing that right now to listeners. That's true. Sorry. But the dollop is awesome and they have great topics. So there's that. All right. There's so, that. There is that. Um, As I'm telling the story, I just wanted to take a moment to appreciate history in all of its forms, glory, whatever you want to call it. Um, This is one of those things that has a huge story to tell, but like it's one of those things to me where you look at history as a whole and there's so much, right? Like right. From, from beginning to now, there is so much. And you can look at like world history and pick out like commonalities among men and things that we value and things that we fight for, blah, blah, blah. But to me, what's so interesting about history is that everything is taken in a snapshot, whether it's a large event or a small event, we as people looking back see it as like a singular moment in time. Right. And I don't know why that's for this story meant so much to me to think about only other than maybe I wasn't into American history until long after high school. Like didn't care. Wasn't my jam. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, America was way too young to have anything interesting. Oh, we've got some like, great true crime. <laughs> Well, I know that now, but I didn't know that then. Sure. I mean, but right? your, your history teachers weren't like, okay, so the first recorded murder trial. Right. Like they were not telling me anything interesting or that wasn't already apparent. I mean, and I think, I think my body language actually, you got to see it, but the listeners didn't. It was, you know, you look over your shoulders and lean forward, right? Like she's spilling the tea. She's yeah. There's the exactly zero of that. It's like, in 1755 it's like oh my gosh yeah. i can't but it's like you gotta like look over your like okay first off how does any the, the my favorite joke tell hr how does every single inappropriate joke start <laughs> look to your left <laughs> you look to your right up. lean in and when you you have to tell that joke to hr three times before they get it because they're too busy screaming no no don't 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 because, yeah, their lives depend on it. Right. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to fire you. I like you. There's a list of people that I want to go before you. <laughs> so could you just not leave me to the you, left and Could right? you just please? Teresa, exactly. get out of the line yeah. of the firing squad. We're aiming at somebody else. 
Anyhow, go back speaking of firing squads, go back yeah, to the okay. Culpepper spy ring because like I, I know kind of a bit about this. I, I It's okay, been a cool. minute. It's been a minute. I've seen a couple documentaries, but again, it's a couple years. Okay, so seen. you might actually know more than me because what started this research for me is Agent 355. Not um, ringing bells this, right now, but that doesn't mean much. Like, very... Um, Did this involve knitting? Not that I know of. I don't think there's any knitting involved in this story. Okay, because I do... But what is okay. involved in this story is very ordinary things like knitting. Okay. And very ordinary people in a very extraordinary time. Okay. Like, and I think that to me is what makes this story so special is that almost everyone involved was just an average guy doing what they thought was the thing to do for their country, for their cause, for what they believed in, right? Right. So the first article that was sent to me was sent to me by my husband who was like, oh, she will love this. And it was just like a a quick quick little blurb like maybe a paragraph and then he sent me the smithsonian article and then i was completely smutten so smutten or smitten mitten because i know what smut (laughs) is and i know what mutton is (laughs) smitten but now i want to know what smutton is is it like really dirty lamb it's like lamb that makes you feel gross inside when you're done eating it's lamb you don't eat in front of your priest Oh, I need some of that. There you go. Okay, sorry. Carry on. Um, so the Culpa Ring actually only became known to the public in the 20th century. The article on Infogalactic says this about the otherwise unknown ring of people. Quote, the general public was unaware of the ring's existence until the 1930s. Robert Townsend's identity as Culpa Jr. was discovered in 1929 with the examination of old letters written by Townsend in the Townsend family home. Historian, I love this name so much, Morton Pennypacker. I'm sorry. That sounds like a fake name. Every single syllable, Morton Pennypacker, reviewed the letters and noticed the resemblance of the handwriting in letters from the trunk written by Robert Townsend and letters written by Samuel Colpar Jr. in Washington's collection. So, wait, wait, wait. You... No hate because I'm a I'm a history fan, but how much of a nerd are you to be like this handwriting looks like some other handwriting that's 250 years old? Yeah, that's exactly what he did. <laughs> hmm. And then I imagine he went back to went back to Washington's collection and pulled the papers out and had his magnifying glass and was like, "Yeah, how much of a nerd do you have to be?" I look. I'm here for it. That said. I- I don't believe Morton Pennypacker is his real name, not for a second. <laughs> no, now Morton Pennypacker. It went from like comic book supervillain to now <laughs> incredible book nerd. And I, I'm like, you know what? Sold. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm Morton, buy it. I'm, I, I got you. I'm, I'm here for your works. Can I copy um, your notes? I'm sure his word's exquisite. Um, other evidence later corroborates Townsend's identity, but he is the person that was like, hey, I think there's stuff we haven't learned yet. And then went about learning it. So incidentally, it's also Penny Packer that starts the whole idea of there even being a woman involved to begin with. And she is really like the most interesting character to me because we know absolutely nothing. Which means we can make up everything. And that is exactly what Mr. Penny Packer did. And every author since then. 
they create this very romantic story of you know uh, a, a patriotic lady or um perhaps one slighted by the british in one way or the other that just really wants to get back at them and we get, we hear these this amazing tales about what she did if she existed which i think is fantastic mm. so summer of 1776 uh britain has captured new york city and it holds on to it for seven years one of the things I learned while researching this that was not taught to me in my American history class, which would have made it so much more fun, is that when Britain captures New York City, many of Washington's supporters wanted him to burn it to the ground. Like, if we can't have it, nobody can, right? Congress says, uh, no. <laughs> and... Washington works to find another way to undermine and counteract the British and get ahead. Enter the idea of espionage. So he teams up with a gentleman named ben Benjamin Talmadge, who has already a beef with the Brits having after having lost Nathan Hale. Are you um, familiar with Nathan Hale? A little bit, yeah. Okay, so I, I have but one life to give for my country. Like, that's yeah. him? Okay. So Talmadge was a friend of his, or at minimum a classmate of his, and also one of Washington's first spies, as well as Talmadge having been having had this relationship with Nathan Hale, his brother was serving time on a British prison ship, which I didn't even know was a thing. Like, it oh yeah, prison sense. ships were a thing. It super makes sense, but like. I now have this image of the New York Harbor filled with British prison ships, and I'm not sure if that image is exactly right, but... No, I mean, it's like, you look at it, it even happened, you even see the, the prison ships showing up in Outlander. Huh. Like, in the books, at least. Okay, okay. I mean, I guess that checks. It would have been the same. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I mean, because, you I, know, the British realize... do transport... We've been talking about Outlander a lot. I mean, I say we, but it's all me. Well, you are the bigger fan. It's safe. I'm not going to judge. Yeah, I'm not the Outlander. Fan. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I like okay. Grandma Tavish, and that's it. I'm in it for Dougal. I mean, he was between him and um. Oh, I just forgot the name of the the Godfather. The um, British commander, the the no, the... no, the the old guy who oh, really Martog. just Murtog, Murtog, Mar yeah, yeah, yeah. I put the G at the end. <laughs> no, you're good. So, but Murtog appears more in the series than he does in the book. Well, because he is a favorite. I mean, how do you not make him appear more in the series? Oh yeah, but anyhow, anyhow, anyway. so. So Benjamin Talmadge, he's he's pretty pissed off with the British, and he wants to get back at them. So him and Washington team up, and he be, he becomes the leader of the ring. Caleb Brewster, who was a whaler with several ships, believed that he could help in Washington's cause, and like I don't know, slides into his DM or sends him a text that's like, "Hey, I can actually gather the intel from New York City and transfer it like across the Sound to you. Um, so you should probably use me." And Washington's like, yeah, that that sounds great. <laughs> let's, let's do that. These fellas, having watched previous attempts at espionage in the revolutionary time, 
decide they are absolutely not going to do the things that were previously done because they didn't work like Mm. nathan hill being a perfect example um either alibis weren't tight enough or people are running their mouth or whatever the case may be these guys build a team of workers who are not military and look like normal people going about their normal business Here's where we enter a farmer named Abraham Woodhall, who has a sister who lives in New York City, so his movements there look normal. Woodhall would become Samuel Culper Sr. That is the alias he works under. Mm -hmm. And he would recruit several spies while, quote, visiting his sister. Some sources say some of these would-be women, considering they are always viewed as less suspicious, which... By this point in history, it super ticks me off that we haven't figured women out yet. Look, you know, hey, <laughs> we haven't figured out in World War II when Nancy Wake and Virginia Hall were just moving freely through France. Like, I, <laughs> I don't understand how you, like, in the case of the British, they're also using women. So how would you not assume that the enemy... You know, here's the deal. Misogyny... Is a no, no bounds. And it <laughs> cuts both ways. Sometimes it's in your favor. Other times it just sucks. It sucks most of the time. But it comes to work in our benefit occasionally. And at that point, we just got to roll with it. I mean, yeah, that's true. And this is one of those cases because, again, um, women are not a problem. We're not something to be uh, even momentarily considered as treasonous i mean of course we're housewives and i can't wait to um, tell you my story because of that that thing you just said right there (laughs) i'm so excited um so one of these women could have been the reason that we have an agent 30 355 some historians believe that she's a woman called anna strong whose husband was arrested in the early days of the war for working with the patriots it's thought that she stays in Long Island specifically to stay, to take on the spy mantle herself. Um, and that being said, there are confirmed British beliefs that there is a woman of suspicion operating, but they don't know if it's just that she has patriotic views and is speaking out or, you know, they don't know how much of a problem that she could be. But, is she a Penelope Barker? Is it Barker? Mm-hmm. Or, I don't think it was like that. I think it was more like this woman could be a problem, but I don't think so. Right. You know I mean, what Penelope I mean? Barker, like, we knew was a problem. Yeah, she was absolutely a problem. Whereas Anna Strong could or could not have been. Like, they just had suspicions about a singular woman in the area. But that being said, there is a series of coves near... I'm going to jack this up. Secaucket, Long Island where um, the system of using Caleb Brewster and his boats, they would regularly meet up with Woodhall at a cove that was signaled to him based on the number of handkerchiefs that Anna supposedly strung on her clothesline. One source even goes on to say that she would hang a black petticoat to indicate that Brewster had arrived in town, and then the corresponding number of handkerchiefs as to which cove to meet him at. So he is basically the courier for the information, right? Okay. Which I think is super cool. But by 1779, Woodhall, 
aka Culper Sr., brings Robert Townsend into the fold as Samuel Culper Jr., and he is there to help gather intel from New York, which makes a ton of sense because he all of his business interests are based in New York City. He has access to British officers via a society column that he authors for a loyalist newspaper, as well as a, ho- a coffee house whom he shares with the newspaper owner by the name James Riverington, who was also a member of the ring. And last but not least, I love Mr. Townsend. He also has a tailoring business. Like another friendi- friendly founding father, Hercules Mulligan. Hercules Mulligan! When I read that, I was so excited. So Hercules Mulligan and his um, slave Caddo were both super involved in the early espionage acts of the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. They corroborated with and collaborated with the Koopa Ring. However, they were not ever directly like, they weren't members. Mm. But Hercules and his man have learned of this ring. And so sometimes they would use them to transfer information or vice versa, right? Like, Mm -hmm. not directly related to you. I'm adjacent to you. And we're here for the same cause, which I thought was super fantastic. And I love the idea that in a tailor shop, be it Robert Townsend or Hercules Mulligans, the British officers just kind of talked like they didn't think anything of it. Because I guess that's what you do in a tailor shop, right? You're getting fitted. You're getting all the things. So how is Nancy these days? Yeah. You're <laughs> exactly. doing your thing. Exactly. You're doing your thing. So I thought that was super cool and I had to mention it. But along with all those meetings, they use couriers and dead drops. And, um, you know, because they wanted to help with the speed and accuracy of the message. So maybe uh, Caleb Brewster can't get there fast enough. So they've got a dead drop location as well. Yeah. For information pickup. Right. As well as the use of something called sympathetic stain, otherwise known as invisible ink. They so this sounds very... Dick oh. Tracy? No, I was going <laughs> to say... Oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot the name of the Nick Cage film. With um, the 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 constitution. Oh, uh oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my god. National Treasure. National Treasure. There it is. Okay, so funny enough, you know how in National Treasure he makes the comment about like lemon juice and heat? That's what I was thinking. That's what they used. Ah, uh, see, I'm with you. It would have been so much cooler <laughs> if I had pulled National Treasure just out of the ether, but strangely, in the ether, it remained. You know, what's funny is when you said Nick Caden, my first thought was Con Air, and I was like, no, Secret No, that's not that. it, actually. <laughs> Why would she hmm. bring up Con Air now? Like, that isn't even one of his best. I mean, he's been in so much because he just, he's buying. It's absolutely his... everything. <laughs> yeah. So... Along with those, they also, and I just think this is, honestly, it's very silly, but in order to ensure that the security of the messages, they would, to in order to ensure the security of the messages, they would arrive coded with keywords that were replaced by numbers. For example, Washington was number 711. And then all the codes were neatly gathered in a book and given to all the members of the ring. And quite honestly, I feel like that's a real quick way. We can't skip past that. I think from now on, anytime I say convenience store, I'm not going to say 7-Eleven. I'm just going to say, I'm going to go to Washington. Yeah, you do you. I'm going to pick up a Slurpee while I'm there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's hilarious now that you point that out. 
Um, however, I think that gathering all the books up and give all gathering all the names and the codes and giving them to all of the members of the ring sounds like a real quick way to make a mistake. But it they didn't. <laughs> um, there were some issues. Uh, this is the same time that Benedict Arnold was doing his thing and yeah, creating problems that, yeah, and creating problems that he created. And so at this point, the Copler Ring, I don't want to say they disband, but they are very, very, very careful. And um, a handful of other things happens that basically shuts their operation down for their own safety. But never once were all were the identity of the bulk of the ring um, given up. Like, they were kept safe. Yeah. Which I think is pretty fantastic, given that they carried a book around. <laughs> that had the asking for trouble like super asking for trouble and that's almost like mission impossible but the half that you have only contains the codenames yeah yeah it really does have that vibe to it and it kind of okay so one of the funny things is the legacy of agent 355 is she shows up in numerous modern retellings of either books or stories or Mm. she is an agent in the mi6 she is agent 355 in in like the james bond type stories doing like a whole double agent right so it's really funny that this character who this smithsonian article is just so so good but the this character may or may not have ever existed their two best bets are that it was either a anna strong or a slave that um worked with Townsend and then was sent to the British and then went back to Townsend because you say whatever you want in front of your slaves. Yeah. And they're thinking her name was Elizabeth or she went by Liz. They're thinking that maybe she released information and had very patriotic leanings because some of the things that happened to the Copler ring while they were in operation should have been like clear problems disbanding the ring immediately creating Mm. problems yet they were always warned ahead of time or they were always able to get out ahead of time or stop assassination attempts and things like that whereas if you didn't have somebody on the inside you wouldn't have had that information right and the whole idea of agent 355 comes from this one notation in the book about a lady quote 355 she doesn't have a name she doesn't have like an alias. It's just a lady and 355. And from that, Mr. Morton Pennypacker decides that she is the real deal, best spy on the planet. And we know absolutely nothing. Give it to me, nerd. Right? The best part about all of this is, is after the war, every single one of these people goes back to their everyday life. And we are only now learning who they all were. And you know, somebody threw out a ton of paperwork from <laughs> great great grandma dorcas mm-hmm. and just like i mean it's mixed in with the pie recipes but the things are <laughs> sticky and it's just why illegible. is there lemon juice all over this it Everything. smells weird yeah i this and so to me what i loved about this and the what reason i even had to share the story and tell you about the cobra ring is that the idea of a person can do so much. Yeah. Whether she truly existed or not, whether she was the slave called Liz or whether she was Miss Anna Strong, it doesn't matter. She 
exists in idea and sometimes that is so much more powerful because the british are like holy crap what's going on they have no idea this could have just been a ruse the whole time but it kept the british occupied the whole time and i just love that so props to women getting away from it (laughs) that's that's actually a brilliant transition so there you go are are you ready for for my person (laughs) yeah is she 355 (laughs) i'm gonna tell you about Catalina de Rosso. Catalina de Rosso. That is a name I can't mm-hmm. say I know. Uh, her bio- her autobiography. Don't know if you're ready for this. Uh, the <laughs> Lieutenant Nun, the true story of the cross-dressing transatlantic adventurer who escaped the Spanish convent in 1599 and lived as a man. And she's transatlantic? So that implies like she left Spain. That's the name of her autobiography. Uh, other sources include an article from Rejected Princesses, Ooh, Katarina De Rosso, uh, podcast, Things You Missed in History Class. There's a okay. podcast called Vulgar History that had three hours of podcasts about her. <laughs> so... What had happened was I was listening to a (laughs) podcast and somebody made this passing comment about this trans man in, uh, oh gosh, how'd they word it? This trans man in Latin America who wreaked havoc and was fairly problematic, but that's all they said. I was like, but they, and they, they used the phrase Lieutenant Nunn. And I went, hold on. I uh, love any story that starts with what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> I did it intentionally. Okay. Oh, so okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, wait, wait, hold, hold up, hold, please. Like what? And so then like, that's all they said. They went on to the topic they were talking about. Rude. And it was just like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I need to interrupt this podcast. I know that it was previously recorded, but I have questions. Yeah. How and dare so they? then I had to go down this rabbit hole. Okay, so I I have to start as nearly every article or every podcast starts when talking about Katerina de Arasso. There's like ambiguity of gender, okay? Because the first thing I heard about her was trans man. So that would assume the pronoun should be he, him. Okay, Um, but she lived from... 1592 to 1650 uh gender sexuality as we know it is really only 150-ish years old like it's a very new construct right okay so katarina didn't have access to that same language um so at that point you have to look at well if if they have an autobiography how do they talk about themselves they switch pronouns Oh, okay. Um, and then you look at, well, Spanish is a very gendered language. Yeah, that adds to the the chaos. Yeah, it super does. And so it seems very arbitrary, like primarily Katarina sticks to she, her pronouns, but lives as a man for decades and decades and decades. Um 
So I'm going to go back and forth, but it's not without being very uncomfortable the entire time and knowing that I could be slandering an entire minority group. Okay. So pre-apologize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In advance. You know, I'm just going to have apology tickets and just cash them out when you feel that you need them. So, right. And um, same could be said for mine as well, because there's so much story there, but my crush is 355. So there you go. Mm -hmm. So on top of the problematic language and pronoun issues, um, Arasso's a dirtbag. <laughs> and there's very little redeeming qualities about this human. Um, like, I think when I, when I talked so to you So why earlier, did you choose them? <laughs> They are a slow motion train wreck. And just <laughs> like any awful reality TV, you can't turn your eyes away. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know you're in for a bumpy ride when you pick up an autobiography and the author's killing somebody in a bar fight every five or six pages. Oh, so her and Cassius Clay would have been absolute best friends. Oh, my gosh. Or bitter rivals. One of the two. Take or your both. pick. Could be a different day, different week, you know? I mean, honestly, she's cut from the same cloth as Julie Dobney. Oh, okay. So we have a group now. Yeah. We, <laughs> we're, get, we're, we're getting a gang. Yeah, The gang's okay. back together. Woohoo! <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so she... Okay, basically, overview of the story. She travels through South America disguised as a man. It's basically, imagine that, but... 17th century themed episode of cops that is not at all where i thought we were going uh-huh yeah um okay she goes through this whole cycle of kill hide escape repeat so often that the story's kind of choppy okay like her autobiography where you're just like okay wait like every chapter some chapters are super short some chapters are incredibly long but it was just like and then this happened Next and then chapter. Tuesday. And, and then I killed this person. Okay. Okay. So there's a, there's a ton of that. Um, all of this happens. And then at some point, I'll get to the point where she uh, works her way up to a meeting with the Pope to get special dispensation to wear pants. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Every single word you have said so far has hit me in the face as something I didn't expect. Yep. I knew uh -huh. you had to get special papal dispensation for like a lot of things, but wearing <laughs> pants was... <laughs> you you didn't see that coming! Yeah, okay. I just really want to be the Pope's assistant that day. Uh, and then you have a 10 o'clock, sir? Uh, pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone requesting pockets. Oh. And a hymn down the center of their skirt. The horror. I know. Um, okay, so let me back all the way up. Arasa's father, he's a career soldier, uh, part of nobility as well. Um, he's doing some fighting in Spain, and he gets incredible, gravely injured, if you will. This would be, I'm sorry, you said 1590? Yeah, she, she's born in 1592. So this is after, um, like, uh, Isabella of Spain, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to gauge my... Actually, when, when she ends up doing a lot of things, uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand, they've passed. And so we've we've got an, a new king. 
So uh, I'm you just know, making but, sure I understand yeah. my yeah, 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 your chronology, your chronology, chronology. I'll have another yeah. cider and we'll keep going. Incompetency. <laughs> These are not all you, things. me. That's my no, favorite yeah. word. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> um, so he gets gravely injured, and he, at some point, interacts with this very holy relic. That's a, you know very incredible statue, and he's praying to the statue, which is a lady of something i should have written it down that would have been great um but he's praying to this this statue and he says if i make it out like if i if i if i come back out of this all of my sons will go into the military all of my daughters will go into the convent and let's cut the family line short then well but okay but this is also like a good sign of like prosperity if you had the ability to just send all of your daughters to a convent that meant you weren't relying on marrying them off for money. No, I guess that's true. Yeah. So that's true. it was okay. it's kind of a flex. All right. Okay. I'm here for so it. So he survives. Okay. And um, so he ships all of his sons off to the military and ships his daughters off to the convent, including his four-year-old. Oh my god. So four-year-old Katarina or Catalina. Where is mom? Where is mom? Mom is having feelings about it somewhere else, but mom didn't make a a promise to God. Okay. So mom doesn't have her say in this. So Katarina de Rosso. <laughs> and honestly, the more you read about Katarina de Rosso, you're like, okay, I bet mom was was happy to get her out of the house because, you know, Probably. she had just gotten rid of the three-nager and then the four-year-old <laughs> and all of that nonsense. Okay. And okay. then we see what Catalina grows into. Okay. Okay. So, um, when Catalina is at the convent, um, the cat she's put in a convent that's ran by her aunt, who's the abbess. Of course. It, honestly, when you read about her, every other paragraph was, and then I met my family member, which makes us even more insane. Um, but she she's in the convent. She's increasingly more frustrated with the lack of freedom that she's experiencing. And she's being subjected to regular beatings by the nuns. And she's four? Uh, she grows. She grows. She doesn't, she doesn't remain four. It's my, oh, what I'm trying to say. clearing that up for me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So at one point, she's about 15 years old. Um, there is an older nun, also named Catalina, because we had to recycle the names. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can only have so many Marys. Right. Okay. So Cat- Catalina, the elder is a, is a widow and mm-hmm. she came into the convent because that's what you do. Ooh, and yeah. they get in horrific fights and the younger Catalina gets her ass handed to her. Okay. Okay. So she's pretty upset about this and she that's holds a grudge lady. and they end up waking up at midnight to go do prayers right before the saint of saint and um i love that saint day exactly you've got the metal around your neck i know you get Um, falafel on that day i'm here for it right so (laughs) she um she's up and her aunt says hey why don't you take my keys go to my go to my cell get get my little prayer book and then you know come on back so she unlocks the the door to her aunt's cell looks in sees the keys to get out of the convent logs that away as a mental note doesn't lock the door behind her brings the keys back to auntie and then after a bit goes hey auntie i'm i'm not feeling i'm feeling a bit rough i'm can i can i go lay down get out of here go away 
So Catalina goes back. I'm downstairs. assuming she's 10, 12, 16, 15. Okay. Okay. So 15 year old Catalina goes back into auntie's room, snags the keys to get out, grabs some needle and thread, grabs a couple of uh, pieces of eight and starts getting out. She, she's never been outside the convent. So right. it's been okay. 11 years and she has not seen outside. So she opens the door and it's a whole new world. She doesn't even know where she is, but she makes it out to a chestnut grove behind the back of the convent. And she spends three days back there sewing her habit into pants. I love her. <laughs> I mean, it is just like, what? What? And you're not takes... far enough away to make pants yet. <laughs> right. So she takes the name Francisco de la Hoya. And like she the goes. Boxer? Well, but he wasn't oh, the that boxer. Was Oscar de la Hoya. Never mind. Sorry. Never so mind. this is great, 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 great grandfather's namesake. But anyhow, carry on. Okay. 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 So then she goes about chasing her dreams, which at that point, if we look back in hindsight, apparently only included drinking, fighting and womenizing. I mean, this checks. She's got to keep up the Francisco de la Hoya motif, you know? Yeah, you, you know, you've got, Appearances. got a name to live up to. Yeah. Um, I should mention that she's also from this region in between France and Spain, Basque country. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she I'm is Basque. Okay. Um, basically, whenever anybody helps her out in the future, it's because they are also Basque. And apparently they have a very tight group. And if you are, yeah. Okay. So whenever you're like, how did she get out? Who, who would help her? For that? It's probably because they're Basque. So just okay. log that away. Um, Cause it's going to become pretty important for some of these tall tales that seem to get validated by other historians. <laughs> okay. Um, I can't, I might've said it before that she's a dirt bag. You did. You did. But she's described as gleefully immoral. I want that on a shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and with her name below it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, signed. Yeah. Okay. Um, Iraso is okay. So you think about the invasion of the conquistadors, right? They, and we think about the living memory that they had, are awful. Mm-hmm. She outshines them. She's <laughs> not a nice person. But okay, ne- nobody in the conquistador stories is a nice person they're all dirt bags so yeah. keep all of this in mind okay um and one of the things we need to realize is that boy spending her formative years in a convent really really formed her little brain because every time she decides to uh kill somebody uh she decides to go ahead and then seek sanctuary in the church well okay and this starts when she's 18 or 11. Because apparently um, she has the date that she says, you know, the, how old she is. But then in what year she says she was born. But then you look at her baptismal records and that's a different year. So maybe she was baptized late. Maybe she got her own time wrong. Maybe her biography or autobiography um, had a typo. Because we don't know if it was transcribed. We don't know if she actually wrote it. Like, there's... There's lots of we don't knows. There's lots of inconsistencies. It's much like my Coppola ring. Yeah. So <laughs> when you okay. hear me say something, you're like, wait, you did... Paragraph ago, you didn't say that. Well, that explains why she's been four for 18 years. Yeah. 
when she's 18 or 11, uh, she goes to a theater <laughs> and a guy's rude to her and he threatens to slice her with his sword. At that point, she's working at a store. And so the next day she sees this guy walk by her store. So she had apparently spent that time taking her whetstone and a sawtooth blade or taking her small little dagger and a whetstone and turning it into a sawtooth blade. So he passes by the store again. She sees him, recognizes him and goes savage. Because I mean, she locks the door behind her, sealing up the store and then makes the comment of like, remember how you said you were going to slash my face? Well, she slashes him up. Um, yeah, yeah. Good he honor. comes back for revenge about of a couple months, about a couple months later. Uh, she then kills him and several of his friends. You'd think they would have learned. What were those nuns teaching? You know, I feel like there's been Netflix documentary documentaries <laughs> filmed about this about warrior the nuns. Warrior nuns. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I take it as a documentary now. I take it as nothing else. Thank you for that. <laughs> yep, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so this happens. She runs to a church and seeks sanctuary until the heat dies down. Now, I should let you know that, you know, the hair has been chopped off into this rather page boy kind of aesthetic. Um, I'll, I'll show you a, a painting of her that was done while she was alive. Um, you, you would not accuse her of being a woman. So she is not handsome. Not by any usage of the word. That's enough to be pissed about. Yep. Okay. So eventually staying into the church until the heat dies down. Maybe that's why dad's like, I'll put all my daughters in the nunnery. Look, all of these (laughs) guys shouldn't see mirrors because they are going to be rather upset with what I gave them. So (laughs) we're going to put them in a convent. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The ner- the nose and jawline looks good on Miguel. The Habsburgs. Oh, actually, very Habsburgish. Anyhow, um, <laughs> actually, I'll just show you a picture so you can see the Habsburgish. Because I mean, not the less jaw than a Habsburg, but kind of not by much. That's a woman. That is a woman. First With of it- all massive helmet hair yeah yeah okay so we're looking at a painting that's got like what i'm going to assume is a something similar to like a red velvet sleeve with the leather shugan thing vest thing and the metal neck with the high collar yeah it looks like uh like was in it was was in a wagon accident and was feeling a bit whiplash and so it got put in a metal halo yeah, that's exactly what that looks like. And yeah. the worst haircut I've ever seen. I mean, it's Lord Farquaad. <laughs> it is. It's giving Lord Farquaad. It's giving Lord much. Farquaad with a brow yeah. line that is reminiscent of, say, a, a caveman. And, and a sneer hair. reminiscent of something my fourth grade teacher did when I figured out I could jiggle my eyes back and forth. She has a butt chin. She does have a butt chin. We are almost Habsburg with this. Yeah. I am so sorry, Habsburgs. I am so sorry. Well, it's the Habsburgs that take the throne after 
Ferdinand and Isabella. So this is just on par, you know? It really is. Yeah. You know, when it's like a dog and its owner, when your subjects start to look like you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for making that correlation for me. I'm here for you. For you. So So she stays in the church till the heat dies down. And this concept suits quite well because boy, this is a wash, rinse, repeat. She later joins the army. I should, I should stop real quick. When she decides to go to the new world, um, she gets on a boat. The boat is captained by her uncle. Of course. But her uncle doesn't recognize her because he hasn't, nobody's seen her since she was four. She's now grown ish. And um, so she does the responsible thing becomes a cabin boy and then when they get to the new world she steals a bunch of money from him and skedaddles doesn't tell him who she is um how does she know never mind she knows who her (laughs) uncle is like she knows the name because she's going by different names but they're going by their own names and she knows like oh okay or also yeah 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 i see you you're my dad's brother i got it yeah um so later she joins the army and gets put under the command of her brother who also doesn't recognize her. And then she goes about begging his mistress for three years. This, oh, oh, this has such Theon and Yara Greyjoy vibes. Yep. Only, let's reverse it a little bit. Yeah, okay, so she bangs his mistress for about three years. He finds out that, you know, something untoward happened and she flees to a church. For sanctuary. I have like 110 questions and they all start with how, how long did it take for someone to figure out she was she and not a he? Um, apparently everybody she was messing around with kept their mouth shut. I'm impressed. But that's about the only ones because at some point in her autobiography, she says, quote, but chance toyed with me, turning my every scrap of luck into disaster. Oh, that disaster, you ask, is what she refers to as a small misunderstanding. The kind of misunderstanding you have with an army buddy when you stab them in the chest. Oh, so Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. But gambling's involved. Of course it is. A a judge intercedes, and that's when she decides to slash him in the face. Okay. She runs to the church. Both of those people die. Um, A year later, another dude gets killed over cards. She then fights with the police and then goes to the church for sanctuary. So, you know. I think they'd stop giving sanctuary to this random individual. I mean, it's got to be a different church every time anyway, but still. I mean, honestly, who doesn't just start putting up guards at the church being like, if they don't look penitent, if they are looking like they've got some serious guilt and they're not, they're there for- If they have hair like this- Everybody had hair like that. Well, every dude had (laughs) hair like that. Okay. Okay. So, um, you remember how I I mentioned that she was banging her brother's girlfriend? Yeah. That was an isolated incident. At age 18, it was not. Oh, Um, okay. She romances her boss's mistress to the point where the said mistress cornered Arauso and demanded that they sleep together. 
Arasa claimed that she then had to, quote, smack her one to escape. <gasps> Did I How mention that she's a dirtbag? How dare you? I've been romancing you for days. I don't want your attention. Right? I just I just wanted to know that I could have you. I don't actually want you. I just, just want to keep you on the line. Rude. Yep. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. So she flees to Lima. And once in Lima, she gets a new boss. And she starts flirting with the boss's sister-in-law. Because she has not learned. Won't learn. Can't stop. Won't stop. Uh, boss at one point walks by and looks through the window and sees her combing her hair and running her hand up and down between her legs. Strangely, she gets fired for this. But okay, I I should pause a sec. (laughs) Because depending on the translation you read, it could be running the hand down the leg. But then sources or translators got back into it, looked at it again, looked at it in English and was like, okay, but like we need, we stripped the lesbianism out, but I feel like this text has a bit more in there. So they re-lesbianize it, which is not a phrase I think I've ever heard in my life. And that's when they, it yeah. went from running the hand down the leg to like, well, but technically this is more up and down and in between. Herself, right? No, the the boss's sister-in-law. Oh, I thought she was combing her. No. Okay. No, no, I don't no, know she's... how I missed that. Okay. Arauso, dressed as a dude, is putting the moves on boss's sister-in-law. I got it. Now, whether it was just a casual stroke down or it was up and in between. We don't know. Uh, it's a bit, it's a bit tenuous. Okay. Either way, could have been innocent? Question mark? I feel like touching the leg, regardless of whether it's inside or outside, I feel like that's just a bit in the personal zone. It's a little you're, bit you're, not innocent. They're yeah. violating the bubble. Yeah, I'm going to go with you on that. And I'm I'm looking at it from a modern propriety angle and not from a, now that you've touched my thigh, we have to get married. <laughs> How dare you? Look, I mean, these are things. So... At some point in her history, she talks about being engaged to two separate women at the same time. Oh. Because, okay. you know, at some point it's like, well, you have to marry my sister-in-law. Um, and Right, because honor. Right. You're duty-bound mm-hmm. by this point. Um, things. She, she, she's, I mentioned she's problematic because she complains in her autobiography that the complexion of one of these women is too dark. Oh, okay. So basically just braces as hail. And what were you doing with them in the first place then? Fun time. Look, you don't want to marry that one. Oh, oh, okay. Just sampling the fair. Right. So basically her whole life is a fuck, marry, kill. Okay. Got it. Less on the Mary. Got it. Okay. The The other one, she she's like, well, it's not so bad. She keeps giving Arauso velvet clothing. So, I mean, yeah. That shirt. Okay. Right. And so then it's like, yeah, you know, but it starts progressing far enough where she's going to end up having to pull the trigger on one of them. So she just skips town. As you do. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she goes 
back to her life of going in and out of churches. And then after, you know, slicing the judge's face and killing him, um, she ends up staying in church for six months and she's surrounded outside by soldiers who want to arrest her. Um, this one's actually kind of funny because at, at this point she runs into a church uh, to seek sanctuary and she ends up taking communion. Now they're Catholic. And so they believe that, you know, the, the Christ wafer and the glass of wine have been sanctified and are now the body and the blood of Christ. So she puts the Christ wafer into her mouth, the communion wafer. I'll, I'll quit being so irreverent. Um, and <laughs> after a couple of chews, she spits it into her hand. Now, the problem with this baller move is each sliver of that communion wafer are now the actual body of Christ and need to be treated in a very specific way. Right. And so now we have spread apart the body of Christ. And now each part is all over the place. And now we've ruined everything. Now she's got to be given sanctuary. So she's stuck inside this church. Well, not stuck. She enjoys it. She She's here for it. So she's staying. So she in... knew that ahead of time. Oh, yeah. This was a planned maneuver on her end. She was basically yeah. like, spit it out. Now you can't kick me out. Body of Christ. Got it. Yeah. So she's she's being a jerk face. Um, as she's stuck in the church, uh, a dude is getting ready to have a duel. And he's like, you know who it's I Louis need? Dobney? Is that you? <laughs> he's like, you know who I need to have be my second? That homicidal mother in the church, that MFR needs to be my second. And so under the cover of darkness, she leaves and goes to be the second of her friend for this nighttime duel. I was going to say, so at least she has a friend. <laughs> I mean, or at least somebody that wants to have them behind, like somebody who trusts her to back them up. Well, the person who's having the duel falls. And so she jumps into the duel and proceeds to kill the opponent second. At some point, like the the guy, the other, the opponent in the duel falls, the second falls. And at that point, she realizes that the opponent's second was her brother, the army commander. Okay, so let me just real quick family recap. Uh, Got on the boat that was commanded by her husband, her uncle. Yeah. Uh, flirted with the mistress, then uh, met her other brother and flirted with his mistress. I'm actually unclear if it was a different brother or the like. I'm unclear which brother. So this is not. This could be a different brother than the brother that was on the boat. It well, that was the uncle. Oh, I thought that brother was on the boat too. Okay, I misunderstood. No, Got but it. I mean, I didn't even tell you about the time that she met her dad. Oh dear God! Okay, like I'm All trying right. to I'm trying to keep this within three hours. But either okay. way, she realizes that she's just murdered her brother. That's unfortunate, and that that bums the crap out of her because she ends up actually going to the funeral and standing in the very very back. She doesn't want anybody to know, and it just it tortures her. It it's one of the moments in the book where she describes actual human emotion as felt by mm-hmm. her. Okay. Yep. And so she's depressed for about a year. And this is just proof that she's she's not a complete and total monster. Right. And I should stop for a second. We all know the conquistadors were completely 
horrendous to the indigenous people. Indeed. They viewed it kind of like a sport. So she comes out of her funk and then at that point slaughters people so brutally that the other conquistadors freak the F out, think that, oh my gosh, that was way too far. What have you done? You, you might actually be on something, you monster. And that's when they cut her pay in half and she gets passed over for promotion that she, she thought she was actually getting. So that is just how badly you F up. When the conquistadors are the standard of virtue. Yeah, when they (laughs) look at you and think you've gone too far. Yeah, that's bad. That's a bad sign. So she continues using the church to be her, her shield. And years later, she gets sentenced to death for killing a sheriff's servant. Oh, God. I mean, this hadn't been her brightest hour. The the servant had insulted her. uh, And in retaliation, she ends up stabbing him in the police headquarters in broad daylight. Oh, because you could do that. I mean, you you could do that right now. That doesn't mean you're going to walk out of those headquarters. But honestly, Angie, if you're looking for something to tie up your evening, might I suggest? (laughs) I don't think I have any... any, um enemies on my list that high you know i'm more confused don't abuse okay i mean that's that's a that's a brilliant tactic as well so she uh ends up getting sentenced to death and is taking the last communion oh that's where she spits it out i'm sorry i got that confused um so she spits it out and yells like i call on the church and that's when you know the the pious town folk believe that she's pleading for sanctuary and they escort her to the church. And that's when she refuses to leave. My my apologies. I got that confused. Timeline's a bit, a bit messy. To be fair, she's done it more than once. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then pulling a complete, this is the Catalina we know and love. Uh, a month later, she skips town. Of course. So she's quite good at her usage of using the church's get, if, get out of jail free card. And that's when her secret comes out. Because after killing several more cops, honestly... At this point, her kill her kill tag is pretty high. Um, she's taking sanctuary again. She knows, boy, this time I shot my foot. Like this, this is not good. I've done it. Yeah. So that it's at that point she confesses to the bishop and she puts it all on the table and she says, basically, I'm a chick. I'm a chick. I'm a woman. You found me out. And he doesn't buy it. He looks at that Habsburg adjacent face. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Um, he brings in a couple of uh, midwives to do a genital check. And oh, okay. not only does she have all the bits, but she is, in fact, a virgin. The hymen is intact. So now, because the hymen's intact, um, you you don't get in trouble for sleeping with women as a chick, not in this time and end date because there's no actual penetration. That's that's fine. That's not frowned upon. Whatever you can do that. That's whatever you do you. Oh, but we don't think of the How murder. How old is she at this point? I mean, like if we had to guess, thirty five. Okay, okay. So she's she's been on the run for twenty years and has the face of a fifty five year old. So <laughs> she's been living it up and doing all the wrong things so but the priest looks at her and is like well if you're a nun and a virgin 
you're the fact that you're a virgin means you're pure. If you're pure, then you couldn't be guilty of murder or doing all of these horrendous things. So I can't, I can't charge you for this. So we're going to hold you here. We're going to reach out to, to Spain and we're going to see if you took your vows. And that's when they write back and go, nah, she bailed right before the last class. So she never graduated. Oh, that's unfortunate. And they're like, well, I mean, ah, okay. We're just going to let you go because you're a virgin. So apparently the exact opposite of the witch trials. (laughs) Honestly, that's a good one right there. The exact opposite. (laughs) Her intact hymen somehow wipes clean the decades of murder that she's got under her belt. And now this 35 year old is declared a blessed individual and provided or provided that she devote herself to God. So she, she just like, okay, great. That's all I got to do to get out of here. Cool. Call me dedicated. <laughs> Change my name to Mary Josephine. Yep. And so she does this and then somehow ends up making her way all the way to Pope Urban VIII, who gives her special leave to pursue her life in men's clothing. He he does, however, say that, uh, you know, hey, maybe you shouldn't harm anyone else. Perhaps. And then takes some special time to talk to her about the commandment, thou shalt not kill. It's one also, it's the one that we seem to need to talk to you about the most. Pretty straightforward, too. Like, like take no the pants. Zone. Don't kill anyone else. No more slashing judges' faces. No more offing cops. Scouts on her. Got it. And after a bout of international fame she writes her autobiography but again we don't know if she dictated it or if she wrote it herself because it wasn't published immediately it didn't hit a wide run of publication they were not waiting in lines at barnes and noble right you know like it's kind of a it's a fairly obscure novel um or or also run, spends the rest of her life in relative quiet Although she does cut up more than one guy in the face over a game of cards, just just to make sure that she's keeping her hands strong. Um, But one of the last anecdotes that she leaves in her autobiography is when she meets a cardinal. The cardinal remarks, your only fault is that you are a Spaniard. With all due respect, she replies, that is my only virtue. Gosh. I'm just a historical dirtbag, baby. I just did she die peacefully of old age in her in her cell? Like honestly? Or go out with a bang. I just need to know. After all the research I did, I can't say I know how she dies. Next week, I'll tell you. I'll tell you next I week. I want to go on believing she's immortal. Um, she's just over any card game that's getting raucous. She's the patron saint of raucous of card stab, games. Stab the cheating bastard across the table from you. And then bang yeah. his wife. Well, you gotta be thorough. If you're gonna do it. You might as well do it on its grave. Oh, 
Wow. Did I mention I've been reading a lot about the Lieutenant Nun? <laughs> I just, I want to high five you and her and smack her at the same time. Like, like I said, I couldn't be her friend, but this was just a train wreck I couldn't pull my eyes from. It really is. Like, I need to know more. And I also want to read the daily journal of Pope Urban that day where he was like, I had to give her a talking to again. We can't keep killing people, but I let her wear pants. We made a compromise. Pants? For piety. (laughs) Pants for piety. (laughs) You're welcome. There's the t-shirt. Pants (laughs) for piety. (laughs) And the episode's title. I'm writing that down. Pants for piety. (laughs) So proud of myself. I also love that pants are involved, as I am not wearing. <laughs> just you just outed yourself. Up. I am not I deleting that. Right, Angie recorded that entire episode. And the very first thing she said before we record is, I'm not wearing pants. Didn't tell you what I was wearing, so there's that. I'm assuming it's your husband's tidy whities <laughs> No. <laughs> don't stand up. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I can't stand up because I would get like I would knock everything over in in my attempt to to stand up. Were the pants put around the chair and you just slid into the tidy whities <laughs> so that they are chair. <laughs> they are chair now. <laughs> we are one. <laughs> love to see the comic strip of that. I would love to see the tidy whities big enough to go around a chair. I was just thinking that sort of big tidy whities. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, we're gonna need to invest in some big old tidy whities for you. Okay. It's okay. an investment. And also just a regular chair, like a regular wooden chair. We don't have any like regular chairs. What about your dining room chairs? They're like big, like uh oversized chairs. Like the visual I had in my mind was like the the um what are they called? They're like just your classic like square foot seat and then four legs, you know? Yeah. And then a back. Okay. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our dining room chairs would require Omar the tent maker to make tidy whities. Gramps would say Omar the tent maker. Really? Yeah. Hey, Gramps. I mean, he also said a lot of things that were adjacent to Lieutenant Nunn, so. <laughs> Maybe they knew each other. Honestly, Gramps' patron saint was Lieutenant Nunn. <laughs> I I think, okay, part of me is like totally enthralled by this individual because her story is just a giant story of mess around and find out. Like, I mean, to the point where, okay, because she does all of these horrific things and then says, but chance toyed with me, turning my every scrap of luck into disaster. You mean every decision that you keep making keeps repeating itself? Weird how that works. Have you tried just walking by the guy that gave you the dirty look and ignoring him? Have you tried that? Yeah. Have you tried maybe not banging his mom? Or telling him about it? (laughs) Have you tried just don't? Yeah. Maybe cards isn't for you. If we can't keep our hands to ourselves, maybe we shouldn't play that game. Well, you know, the problem is, is she went into the nunnery so young, she never went to kindergarten. She didn't learn how to keep her hands to herself. 
And apparently the nuns had no problem throwing hands. So she's a sociopath and no one ever gave her a hug. Except to throw hands. Except to squeeze the life out of her. You'll pass out soon. Go to sleep. It's nap time. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I'm seeing. I just, I, this makes me actually want to go to a convent just to see them throw down. Well, listen, if the Netflix documentary Warrior Nun is anything (laughs) to base our knowledge on, they are throwing down. That's true. That's true. I forgot that I had mentioned, I had referenced the, the, (laughs) the prized documentary. If you haven't seen it, Netflix. It's called Warrior Nun. It's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> you almost said that with a straight face. And I, then you broke. I broke because my first, like, the thought that came in my mind that ruined it for me was, I we haven't watched all of the second season yet, but the father from the first season, for whatever reason in my mind, was he was a werewolf. I know that's not true, but, like, that was where my mind immediately went. And it, it ruined my train of, like, straight face. Mm. Thinking, like, how am I going to make up for the father werewolf? <laughs> Who is not, in fact, a werewolf. There are no werewolves in the show at all. Because it's a documentary. It's a documentary. <laughs> werewolves aren't real. At least not in this documentary. Did I mention this is a history podcast? Most of the time. It's It's mostly you and I just getting together talking about our shopping lists. I'll take the priest that is also a werewolf. Thank you so much. Click Amazon. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm going to have to get off this phone. This Me phone? Too. Like, what am I? Is this the 80s? Am I stuck with a long phone cord? And I'm going to, I'm, I am going to have hair. to go make dinner. Me too. The bigger the hair, the closer to God. The higher the hair, the closer to heaven. That's what it is. I got you. With your Aquanet. I'm too busy reading the gospel of Lieutenant Nunn. <laughs> Wondering why my prayers are only getting met with a busy signal. I really feel like maybe that's what her autobiography should have been called. My prayers are only being answered by a busy signal? No, the gospel of Lieutenant Nunn. <laughs> I'm... Just go ahead and put you on hold. Hold. Dude. Hold, please. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, you're still waiting? Just another moment. But honestly, the fact that, like, she didn't die of dysentery, she wasn't wiped out by any of the diseases, like, the healthiest constitution that you can imagine. Oh, my God, yeah. And that she survived the amount of duels we know that she was in. At some point, she was shot, like, three times in a single day. It's a very D'Artagnan moment. I'm going to duel you at noon, them at one, and you at 3.30. God. And she just like Julie Dobney just keeps rolling through. Well, and you know. when did she learn sword fighting? Like Julie Dobney, we know when she was taught, but how how who taught her? And why? I'm gonna need your name and you're gonna need to stay in the headmaster's office because this was not appropriate. Again, I'm gonna refer you to the Netflix documentary. <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> Well, if you want to get rid of us so you can go watch the documentary of the Warrior Nuns and so we can get to making our respective dinners, feel free to rate, review, subscribe. And on that note, goodbye. Bye.